We're continuing on in our study of the Pearl of Great Price. And uh, this is the uh, fifth session in that. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. Who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So I said to you last week that we have much to learn about the infinite value of the pearl of great price, that is, Jesus Christ our Lord. And I spoke to you about how pearls are made and why they are so greatly sought after. Really quite a fascinating study in so many ways. And then after I showed you that, then I also gave you information on... Um, on pearls in detail and also biblical information as to why the value of Christ is so very great. Uh, Christ from all eternity before the world was created was God the Son. And uh, the beauty and glory of our God is so very great. One of the main reasons that Christ became a man was in order to deal with our sins, I said. We studied John 3:16 to 18 in that regard, that uh, Christ did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. There was a lot that Christ had to do uh, for us while he walked upon the earth in his earthly ministry, humbling himself uh, to become obedient in every respect which is what we've started to look at and will continue to look at uh, here this morning. So we want to look at the cultivation of the pearl just a little bit more and also what it will take to buy it. There are similarities uh, here in this parable with the parable of the treasure, which we studied before. In both parables, we see that uh, the man uh, sold all that he had to buy it. And we'll look at that uh, perhaps today a little bit, but more next Sunday, I'm thinking. But Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that all of all that he has given me, I should lose nothing. So Christ isn't going to lose a one of those chosen by God uh, from all eternity. He's not going to lose one of his elect people, and he will certainly not lose anyone who comes to him. Uh, all uh, who come to him will find favor with him and will not be cast out, will not, be, will not come into judgment, will pass from death into life. So we're talking about the great value of the pearl, and today I want to draw your attention to the truth that the pearl is formed by accretion. What an unusual word. Accretion means that it's formed layer upon layer. Now these layers uh, in the pearl I've been suggesting to you have a relation to the cultivation of this pearl by God the Father. Uh, that is, that uh, Christ would succeed entirely in doing the will of God. And uh, 
he would purchase redemption for all of his people. The cultivation of this pearl was a very mighty work, I'm trying to suggest to you. It said, um, and the first thing we want to look at is this cultivation of the pearl by the Father, but it's, it, um, it said that it takes up to four years to see a large pearl form. In Christ, the most precious and perfect pearl, the work took three and a half years for him to render a full obedience to God's law, and then he had to suffer and die on the cross for our sins. So I want you to turn with me over to Psalm 42, verses 6 to 8. It says here, uh, O my God, my soul is cast down within me, and therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls, and all of your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me a prayer to the God of my life. The question, the first question that I have for you here is, uh, do the words of this psalm refer to David or to Christ? Or even... Um, Others, a psalm is a contemplation of the sons of Korah. They're the ones that um, would lead in the, in the music and everything. But I want you to try to think about this uh, not only in terms of the uh, difficulties and trials that David went through. And, and by the way, he went through a lot of them. And his soul uh, was cast down within him at many points. I think that we, a lot of times we just fail to understand just how much every believer goes through in terms of their learning what God would have them to learn about following Christ. Our Old Testament brother David was a man who... um, knew the Lord from his youth, took care of sheep, and then you recall he uh, providentially came into the whole situation with Goliath where all the men of Israel were scared of this giant. And uh, you'll recall that uh, David was not. And the reason that David was not, because the Spirit of God was working in him so powerfully, And he had had experience as well uh, in taking care of the sheep that when a lion or a bear came to try to snatch one of the sheep, then he would would grab it and he would would kill it, you know. And um, so he said to King Saul, you know, I, I fought with the lion and the bear. This Philistine will be like one of them. And so he went up to the battle line and his own brother said, what are you doing up here, you know? And questioned him and everything. And uh, he says, well, you know, isn't, isn't there a cause here? <laughs> isn't, isn't there a reason? 
for these things. So it says he, um, he, he went to Saul, and Saul tried to clothe him with his armor. You recall this, don't you? <laughs> and he, he said, uh, no, no, I can't go with this. So he went down to the brook, and he took five smooth stones, put them in his bag, and then he came up to the line, and he said to Goliath, you know, you, you have defi- you're defying the armies of the living God. And today I'm going to take your head from you and you are, you are going to fall before me in this little battle that you and I are going to have. And uh, this man Goliath was a mighty man of war. But all David needed was one stone to sling at him to bring him down, which he did. It sunk into his forehead he fell to the ground. He went, took Goliath's own sword, cut his head off with it, and brought it to Saul. And uh, it was really quite an astounding thing. I guess what I'm trying to show you is that uh, this same David then went through 10 years of being chased by Saul, who was envious of him, of all things. Instead of, uh, instead of his um, being thankful... <laughs> for the slaying of the Philistine. Instead, you recall what happened, don't you? That the women came out and they said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And from that moment on, it says that he looked at him. Saul looked at David with, with an evil eye or with an envious eye and chased him around the wilderness then for ten years before he finally... Uh, was raised up to be king. And uh, although Saul, you would think, knew the Lord, he really didn't know the Lord. Because how can a man who knows the Lord want to kill somebody like Saul did continually and then repent of it, but then change his mind and go back and want to kill him again? Uh, All I'm trying to say is that there was a process to David's obedience And at many points he was tested and tried and sometimes failing. But through the grace of God, he gained the victory. And he gained the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. So when I ask the question, do the words of the psalm refer to David or to Christ, I'm I'm trying to tell you that David certainly went through a lot. And he could write these words and have them sung by the sons of Korah uh, that my soul is cast down within me therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and all your waves and billows have gone over me but I'm trying to show you also that that David is a, is a type of Christ uh, David is a type of um, our Lord Jesus Christ who is mighty in battle, just like David was, uh, and uh, who uh, slew the Philistine, the devil at the cross, if you will. Um, In a typical fashion, we need to understand these things in terms of our study, that the the pearl was formed by accretion. It was formed by Christ's sufferings. But it was also formed by all the obedience that led up to 
the sufferings of the cross because there were sufferings that went before it and there was obedience, a complete and full and practical and ongoing and perfect obedience that uh, was rendered by the Lord Jesus Christ before he went to the cross and then sealed with his blood uh, at the cross. So when we read these words, uh, and what amazing words they are, we need to think about um, the Lord Jesus, first of all, and his perfect obedience. You remember when I read you earlier Wikipedia's words on how precious pearls were obtained? It said this, Many hundreds of pearl oysters or mussels must be gathered and opened and thus killed to find even one wild pearl. For many centuries, this was the only way pearls were obtained. And why pearls fetched such extraordinary prices in the past. We can say that Christ our Savior thus had to die on the cross, is my conclusion. The Father, uh, having him to experience all of the waves and billows of his divine wrath, tearing him apart so that the pearl of great price would be formed. Listen to what uh, a great commentator of the Psalms, Samuel Eilis Pierce, says this about this verse, Psalm 42, 7. He says, Deep calls unto deep at the noise of thy waterspouts. All thy waves and billows are gone over me. He says, I have not the least objection to this being applied to David, as especially as he is acknowledged as a type of Christ, and that his present case and circumstances filled him under the immediate operation of the Holy Spirit to write of his great antitype, the Lord Jesus Christ, to whom the whole may most suitably be applied and in whom it's most been solemnly realized. He says, he was most truly in the utmost state of distress as the surety or the one that took the place of his people. All the floods and waves and billows of divine wrath went over him. And while he was in this state and the Lord thus exercised him, he might most assuredly say, deep calls unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts and all thy waves and billows have gone over me. So I'm trying to show you that there's a process to this cultivation of the pearl by the Father. And the Father watched over and superintended every aspect of the obedience of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ rendered unto the Father a perfect obedience in every single respect and detail to fulfill God's holy law and then sealed it with his blood. I'm trying to show you that then as a consequence of this that in our lives there is also a process whereby we are made more like this pearl by accretion. In the case of the Lord Jesus it's layers upon layers of obedience. Heaps upon heaps of obedience. Perfect obedience. In our case, uh, it's the same way, only we aren't perfect. 
But the pearl, Jesus is perfect. And so he brings us, he is bringing us to this place uh, where we become more like him by accretion. Obedience upon obedience. Look at um, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says here, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So my third question is this. How did God make Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him? How did God make Christ, who knew no sin to be sin for us? That's exactly right. By judicially imputing our sins to him at the cross. Laying those sins upon him there. Uh, Him um, being despised and rejected of men by the Father being made an offering for sin. Wow. And so this is how the pearl uh, came about. Uh, It's not that Jesus Jesus was without sin. This is a very fascinating verse, by the way. I hope that you'll think about it here with me. Jesus did not have any sin. He was impeccable. That word is a beautiful word of not one spot of sin in Jesus. He was impeccable. He made him who knew no sin it says here, to become, to, to be sin for us, it says. To, to be sin for us. That God would see Jesus as all the sinners in the world rolled up into one. That he would then um, punish Jesus as our surety in our place so that then we could become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, that righteousness would be imputed to us, but that as we studied last Sunday, that this righteousness of Christ leads to life, the gift of life. You know, if you, uh, if you could keep the law perfectly, it would result in life. If Adam could have kept the one commandment in the beginning, it would have resulted in life. Do you see that? So when we receive Christ, we receive the imputation of righteousness, we receive the gift of grace, and then we also uh, receive life. And And the righteousness of Christ then covers all of our life the legal, judicial uh, work uh, of imputation of righteousness to us by faith, we're justified by faith, then it covers our whole life so that we can begin to become like the pearl. Obedience upon obedience. So 
we looked at this before last week, but um, John chapter 1, verse 16, I didn't write it up here, the verse, but it talks about grace upon grace. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. And we, we, we're studying that uh, here today once again. And my question is, is this, what are some of the many blessings that Christ brings to us as believers which would fit the description of our receiving grace upon grace? There's a lot of them here. You know, our justification, adoption, yep. union with Christ, our sanctification, yes. That's good. Yeah, that's very good. Um, Albert Barnes says, pardon, redemption, protection, sanctification, peace here, and heaven hereafter. And I would say justification in both of its parts. That is, um, well, maybe I should ask it as a question. What is justification in both of its parts? Can you tell me? That's, yeah, the imputation is one of them, and then the forgiveness of sins is the other. They go together. They have to go together. Uh, and they do go together, but they apply to us in, in this wonderful way that we're talking about. Justification in both of its parts of forgiveness of sins and imputation of righteousness, adoption, sanctification, all the graces of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's constantly being present with us, working in our hearts, Christ's precious grace, constant protection of our soul uh, and deliverance through the prayers of, of others and the supply of the Spirit of grace, as Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. And think, uh, think with the, if you will, in fact, turn over with me to Matthew chapter 5. And verses 17 and 18. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law until all is Fulfilled, it says here. So, um, question five, what does our Lord mean when he says that he came not to destroy the law but to fulfill it? <laughs> I didn't come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. Very good. Well, that's just excellent. Uh, he fulfilled both the ceremonial and the moral law uh, to establish the law as 
Paul says in Romans chapter 3, so the the moral law is not taken away, uh, but it is established, it is fulfilled in every single possible way, as I've been saying to you. But the ceremonial law, which had to do with sacrifice and and the types related to Christ himself, he fulfilled in his own person. The greatness of his person and the greatness of his work. Uh, what, a, what a tremendous thing it is here uh, that we're looking at. Um, what does it mean then when Jesus says that not one jot or one tittle will pass from the law till all is fulfilled? Fulfilled in who? And fulfilled in what sense? And remember he says heaven and earth will not pass away until all is fulfilled. So what does, what does that mean exactly? Can you tell me? I think one thing would be that when he comes back, we don't need the law anymore. That we don't need to what? When Christ comes back, we don't need the law in any ways. We, we won't need the law anymore when Christ comes back. That's exactly right. Because we will be made perfect, as perfect as human beings can be, glorified, and uh, heaven and earth will pass away uh, after Christ comes back. Uh, We need to think about the implications of that. But um, in terms of what we're studying here, We're studying about Christ's obedience being added to obedience in fulfilling the law, piling it up, perfectly fulfilling God's law in every aspect of it, layer upon layer, to cover the irritant of sin. And Christ's work was perfect. It's a perfect covering for us in justification for sin, a perfect atonement, a perfect work done by a perfect person. So the finished work of Jesus Christ, the complete and finished work, is even as a pearl that has no price. So when he says um, not one jot or tittle uh, will pass from the lot till all is fulfilled, I believe that he's talking about all of the scriptures Uh, the prophets, the law and the prophets, Uh, what they say in precepts and prophecies, none of this will pass away in this whole uh, church age. It will continue on until the time when the world ends. The moral law being fulfilled, the moral law summarized in the Ten Commandments and uh, the Ten Commandments summarized by the first and greatest commandment to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor, secondly, as yourself, shall not pass away in the smallest details, that is, as commandments to us and to generations to come until the Lord returns, whenever the Lord returns, that these things will still be there Uh, of the law Um, as it says in Romans 8, 3 and 4 for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh God did 
By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And watch this, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So he fulfilled it, that is the law, in all of its details, in all of uh, its requirements, uh, including love to God and man, in every respect, so that we can then begin to learn to do so when we become a true Christian. Isn't that good? Oh, that's so good. That's a very precious, precious thing for us to consider here. Uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 8 and verses 17 to 21, if you'll turn over there with me and then we'll close after we get to that point. It says this, I love those, and by the way this is a wisdom personified, which we should understand as our Lord Jesus Christ who fulfilled all the law and became wisdom unto us from God. Verse 17 of Proverbs 8, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yes, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I traverse the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of justice, that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. Question 7, when Christ, the personification of wisdom, says that riches and honor are with him, what are these enduring riches? Yes. Yes. You're exactly right, Brian. It's um, spiritual riches. The riches of grace that are being talked about. The riches of wisdom. The riches of, of truth. It's in Christ's power to give to everyone these riches. That is, those who love him. The Lord will keep all who love him. As it says in Psalm 145 but all the wicked he will destroy. It says that those who love Christ, he loves them back. And he loves them by giving them these true spiritual riches and um, the fruit of his death and resurrection is better than gold, better than fine gold, his revenue better than choice silver. What amazing words these are here. When he says his fruit is better than gold, what fruit is he talking about? Amen. Amen. When it says that he traversed the way of righteousness in the paths of justice, what does he mean? So all those are the same conclusion, aren't they, that we've been coming to. And so we should see that Christ is the pearl. Christ is the ultimate jewel 
to be bought by us, to be searched for, to be found. And we shall see the next time that we come together and talk about these things, our response, what our response needs to be, which is to buy the pearl. Well, let's pray together. We thank you, Father, for this time around your word. And once again, we would ask that these truths would be deeply impressed upon our hearts, what it, what it cost you, Lord Jesus, to fulfill the law on our behalf and to suffer in our place as our surety. We pray that um, we would become more like you, knowing your grace, to walk in righteousness and truth, in wisdom and understanding to love your law, to love you, and to love people around us. Give us that kind of grace to see these truths clearly. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.